All right. Hey, Andrew, you want to kick us off in prayer? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, it's a interesting morning in the Equip Hour. We've got the darkest psalm in the Bible in this class and hell in that one. So, <laughs> nice and uplifting this morning. Um, basically, I'm just going to, on your handout here, I'm just going to go through this intro paragraph and then we'll read the passage. Um, we're going to spend some time studying it at our tables like we did when Kyle taught. Um, you guys can combine together if you want. Or... Okay, yeah. No, that's, that's all my stuff. Um, so basically, introduction uh, to this one, it's in the handout. I'm just going to read through this paragraph. Um, as we know, studying the Psalms is basically studying how to pray or how to praise God. And uh, Psalm 88, like I had said, has been called uh, one of the darker corners in the Psalter. Um, the author is overwhelmed by trouble throughout. He's crying out to God. Uh, to relieve the suffering and ha- to no avail. The psalm's unique in that we don't have the typical pattern of distress and unrescue like most of these have had. Um, it, there, it's, it's not hopelessness to hopeful. It just remains pretty hopeless the whole time. Um, and uh, here we're left. Uh, we're, the, the last verse of this psalm is, Darkness is my only companion. So it, it stays in in the pit, so to speak. As Christians, we typically we call out to God in our troubles. Um, as did the people for thousands of years. However, as modern believers, while there are times of suffering where we may feel hopeless, forgotten by God, we don't often express our true feelings. Um, In modern Christianity, we talk about uh, God works everything together for good. God will provide, um, almost to the point of cliche. And sometimes God doesn't answer. He doesn't rescue. Sometimes he doesn't provide. He doesn't make himself known. Um, So how do we cry out then? And uh, since Psalm 88 is part of Scripture, we're going to look at it, and we're going to uh, we're not going to avoid it. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We're going to dive in and see what it's got to say for us. So um, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, which is uh, in the handout here, um, just because the the language is a little clearer. It reads a little easier. So, so for the choir director, a psalm of the descendants of Korah, a song to be sung to the tune "The Suffering of Affliction," a psalm of Heman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. My life is full of troubles. Death draws near. I'm as good as a dead man, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead, and I lie in a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten. Cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pits, into the deepest depths. Your anger weighs down on me. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. Lift my hands to you for mercy. And what are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up to praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O Lord, I cry out to you. I keep pleading day by day. Why do you reject me, O Lord? Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around and engulf me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. So uh, basically what we're going to do, like I had said, is um, typical to when Kyle was here. We're going to go through this at our table. So just in a way of brief review, um, 
we'll look at the questions that we ask of, of the lament psalms. And uh, so basically finding the vision of God in the passage is the key to studying the psalms. And tracking the pattern reveals meaning. Laments are emotional, so understanding the emotion reveals meaning. And the identity of the enemy is unimportant. And laments answer the problem of evil very differently than we do. And we as modern believers are to look at the psalms in light of Christ, but as not Christ-centered. The author of the psalm was not thinking about Christ. So now uh, it's your turn at the tables to go ahead and discuss it. Um, read through it in either ESV or uh, NASB and uh, answer the questions that are on this uh, following page here, um, going through the vision of God, like what is God like in the psalm, um, noting the pattern and the emotions. So take a few minutes to work on that, and then we'll talk about it. All right. Let's talk about it uh, together. Um, what do we got for uh, vision of God? What's God's like, uh, his attributes, his character that's revealed through this psalm? Okay. Yeah, so so being a God of salvation, what is what exactly does that mean? What is he saying there? Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, God is obviously able to save him from his circumstances. He, he has faith that God can, can deliver him. It's also the God who promises that he's that he's in, you know in the covenant i mean it's any what other attributes of god that are covered hmm? yeah anger wrath sorry if you can't read my handwriting and read it that um like I, one of the things that's interesting and we'll cover this a little bit as we go through the outline of this text um there's no confession of sin in this passage in this prayer, Heman's not confessing sin to God. So this wrath that he's experiencing of God, it doesn't. There's no like reason for it that we can at least see within this text. So, anything else? And although it's so bad, but he, right, yeah. In the in the opposite context of what's being asked here, like verse eleven, we see, you know, is your steadfast love declared from the grave? So he's obviously a God of steadfast love, right. but he's asking it as. You know, how in this trial can I declare that? Or how, if I'm dead, can I declare that? So, so there are many yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he sure as heck isn't feeling the steadfast love right now, but he definitely attributes that God has that. Um, verse 12, too, I, I, you know, he's a God of wonders. He's a God that does perform miracles, that does do that. And um, so, anything else in that for that question? All right, what did God do? What are the actions? Stop listening, you know, from God. Ominous silence. Right. God, so. What about, like, oh, go ahead, Dave. Well, I was going to say, yeah, the I affliction, the, you, right. But I, well, I. action itself is. Mm hmm. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, how, obviously the psalmist is attributing that the wrath of God lies heavy on him, that, the, that God is the cause of the affliction, that he is the cause of the wrath, that he is the cause of his friend shunning him. Um, so, I mean, how do, how do we reconcile that? How do we deal with that with our theological view uh, versus, you know, God allowing versus God being the cause of suffering? I mean, obviously the psalmist is attributing that God is the reason that this is happening to him. Right. So how do we deal with that with our view of God as looking back on... I don't have an answer either, so... <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's a tough theology, it, and that goes to kind of the asking the problem of evil question. What do we? God obviously is allowing this. Why do why do bad things happen to His people? And what what happens when it? You know, obviously, God in some by allowing Him to be ill since His youth is causing that. I mean, if God didn't allow it, it would not have happened. 
So how, how, does, how do we, can we grow our theology of God based on that, based on that he allows that to happen? And I guess what would be the purposes of him allowing that to happen? Sure. Uh, I, I didn't see one. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But in this case, there's not a, just as with Job, there was no confession. Those bad things happened to Job, even though Job was a righteous man. So, I mean, it's, it's not, God's wrath is, at least in, in this psalmist's vision, is not, doesn't appear to be caused by a sin of his own. I mean, he, he's been afflicted since his youth. I mean, his entire life he's been dealing with this. So, um, I mean, what, what do we do in that, ca- that case when the righteous are afflicted and it's not a sin issue? I mean, and, and God still allows this great evil to occur to him. Absolutely. I mean, how much faith must it take to, you know, I mean, at, at this point, we don't know exactly how old human is when he writes this, but, um, I mean, it's, he's, he's a wise man in the service of David, so he's probably at least somewhat aged at this point. He's been dealing with this since his youth, yet he still cries out day and night. I mean, how much faith does it take if being ignored for years to still pray, to still call out to God? Um, I mean, obviously his spirit's downtrodden, his emotions are are crushed, but how do, he still does it. He's still, he's still faithful to, to bring his, his petition to God. Let's talk about some of the emotions. Um, oh, pattern-wise, anybody see uh, any glimmer of hope at all? God, like he's suffering. Yeah. He's still in despair. Right. Well, I mean, and also I think, uh, to the bonus question, the implied hope. Um, I mean, obviously, if he didn't have hope in God, he wouldn't be calling out. I mean, so it's it's not expressed in here. He's not, but he's he implies through every again through every negative question that there obviously can be a positive answer to it. Um, like if you look at, uh, I mean, obviously, verse one, you're God of my salvation. There's hope there. You can save me. You can deliver me. You can rescue me. Um, and in verse six, um, I, I would I would argue that. Since God, in this whole series of questioning, really, six through eight, you caused this, you threw me into the pit, you caused my companions to shun me. If you cause it, you can uncause it. You're God, you can do that. So I, I think there's an implied hope even in, in that line of questioning. Um, and then uh, verse 14, um, you know, he's, he, he, this is obviously deep lament here. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Um, but that obviously the answer to that is if God shows his face to him, he's delivered. So uh, there, there is some implied hope through, you know, even through the tough questions that he's asking. But right, so absolutely. So many of the way, but this Verse 13 is, is an up part. He's not, he's not chance. Okay, so, so he, comes back to, he comes back to this place where he can, he's crying out to God who can obviously save him, but as Connie had pointed out, it, then it goes down to, I mean, my darkness, my companions have become darkness, or I, I love how the, the New Living Translation says it, and darkness is my only friend, like, not a whole lot of hope at the end of this one. Um, all right, emotions that are present in this psalm. Um, mm-hmm. This spirit, D-I or D-E, I'm a terrible speller too. And it, others, there's tons of them. Parallel, yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> it's probably not even close. I, I grew up writing papers with spell checks, so I never got to learn that. Um, yeah, I think I think brokenness, definitely weakness, there are some others. Um, so, how does Psalm eighty-eight ask the problem of evil? I know the meaning of this question is vague to some of us, including myself. But what's that? Uh? <laughs> okay. 
Where, where, where do you, where does that come out of the text, though? Is, oh, I don't, I don't know about that, though. Now, I, I haven't thought about it from that, from that angle, but when you think about it, my friends and companions have shunned me. So maybe that could be. Right. So I guess, yeah, I, guess, I mean, that, that's, that's an interesting point. I didn't, I didn't even think about that, but, um, yeah, but I, because, that, 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 the hardest thing in going through this passage for me when I was preparing this week is just how, is is the wrath issue. You, he's under the wrath of God, at least in his mind, but there isn't an explicit sin issue there. So that's that for me is a tough theology. I I struggle I struggled with trying to come up with a reasoning for that, and and so I I don't have an answer honestly. Um, anything else on questioning the problem of evil or asking the problem of evil? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he questions it as in you know, kind of why is this happening? Why isn't this delivered? Why am I not being delivered? It's 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 kind of the age old question of almost you know why does God let bad things happen to good people? Uh, I think I think that can be implied from this text, um, right? Absolutely, right. I mean, why did my mom die of cancer? I have no idea. Hmm. Definitely. Right. I, I, th- I think I, th- I think we do have to be careful, though. You know, to, when when we look at the cause of this, by God allowing it and God choosing not to deliver, God in fact did cause this, and so it's it's easy to kind of brush that that theology over and say, oh, you know, God's working it for good, or God's going to do this, or you know, there's ob- and obviously God's got a reason. It's part of His grand plan for Him to suffer. There's no doubt about it, um, and, and we'll look at some of that in the application process. But, but to al- allowing and causing are are the same thing. If God allows it to happen, He is allowing it allowing it to be caused. Therefore, you can argue. I mean, God's not evil; He's got no evil in Him. But He's allowing it is part of the cause, no doubt about it. And that's we got to make sure that we remember that when we look at passages like this. Um, answering the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right, I, I I don't I don't disagree with that point. I, I I guess don't there there is a distinction in the meaning of the words. I, God is not the author of evil. I, I you know he he did not create it. Obviously, man fell via Satan's temptation, and bringing sin into the world brought evil into the world. God didn't do that. That wasn't that wasn't his design. Um, but also on, on the flip side of that, it, because God is sovereign. He is the cause of all things. He's, I mean, obviously he he allows all things to happen. Therefore, in some aspect, he's causing his plan to come together, even with evil and suffering and death and destruction. Um, he's he's part of that too because he's using it for his sovereign plan. He's using that to bring about redemption to prof- to proclaim his name. So. Um, it, it's it's different than a pa- like allowing to me is a passive word, and we I think we sometimes use that as an excuse, whereas God's allowing it for a purpose. For it's an act of allowing, so to speak. I, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but um, free will is a great topic for next door. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, when you look at you, you look at all the. I mean, obviously, in John, God is or First John, John, God is light. You know, I mean, there there is no darkness at all. So, obviously, God is He's not the inventor of evil, 
but it's not like he's sitting back and allowing evil to do its thing. Like he's he's still orchestrating his plan with that as one of the as one of the ingredients on earth right now because of sin, so to speak. I mean, he's he utilizes evil in man to still proclaim himself, to still forward the plan of redemption. So, let's move on because I'm totally going to run out of time. <laughs> um, so, I, w- I would say in, in the answer to the problem of, the, of evil um, it, within this psalm only is that God is still Lord. Uh, he's, he, he even still got his faith in the right guy. So, um, bonus question. Uh, the hope in the psalm, I think we talked about that, where it's more of an implied hope versus a directly expressed hope. So, with that being said, let's quickly outline this text. Um, outlining is a, uh, is a great way to study Scripture on your own, to break it up into some sections. And This is what I came up with. It's not the only answer. Um, so the first part, verses 1 and 2, um, is... Oh, i got to sign back in here. Give me a second. Um, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. I'm reading out of ESV now. Um, basically, he's saying, God, listen to me. You know, he's, he's, he's acknowledging God's ability to save. That's what we talked about, the, that salvation word there. Um, he, he cries out day and night, which is implying he's unceasing in this request. He's repeatedly asking God. Um, he's crying out, obviously, because of distress. We learn about that in verse 15, his illness or his affliction that's been with him since his youth. He's left him close to death. Um, I'm sorry I'm talking fast, but i got to get through all that. Um, and then in verse 2, the, the psalmist is pleading with God not to continue to ignore his prayer. So he, he's, he, he's implying that God has been, in fact, ignoring him. He's turned his face from him. He's not looking at him. He's not answering him. He's not delivering. So, I, sorry, PowerPoint and me have not been together since the early, late 90s. Um, then, uh, so the second section of this I, I, that I pulled out of it was, was verses 3 through 5, um, looking at the, the emotional response to the soul full of troubles. Um, the ESV... The, the uh, New Living Translation uses grave instead of uh, sheol in verse 3. Um, so verse 3 through 5 real quick. For my, for my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to sheol. I am counted as among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like ones that loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Um, so here, sheol could have one of two meanings. The, the grave which is what the uh, New Living Translation chose to, to grab out of this. Um, the second is hell, or the torment of the afterlife, uh, basically where you go when you die under the wrath of God. And, and I think that that's definitely the use of the term in, in this particular context, uh, because he goes right into the fact that your, your wrath lies heavy upon me. So obviously if he's, gonna, you know, he's going down into death to, under the wrath of God. Um, yeah, again, verse 4 through 5, he feels like he's under the wrath of God, um, which, is, which is where I think that Sheol there means kind of the place of torment, the place of when you're forgotten by God. Um, it's, it's, it's not hell in kind of the theology of hell that we have now. It's, it's kind of what they had for the place of the wrath of God at that time. Um, the third part of this text is verses 6 through 9, um, the, the cause of the suffering. And, and, and this is where it gets challenging if we look at, at 6 through 9. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of the dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy on me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. You've caused, 
My companions have shunned me. You have made a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, Lord. Actually, I think that's where I part. Um, I, I mean, the psalmist here is, is, is clear as I can tell in the text, is, procl- is exclaiming that God is the cause of his suffering. Um, I mean, he's, he fu- fully believes it. You've caused my companions to shun me. Your wrath lies heavy on me. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a gray area at all, in my opinion. He's, he's looking at God as, as the reason that he's suffering. And uh, back to what we had talked about, he's, obviously God's not the author of evil, but God is in control of evil and is allowing this to happen. So, how do we reconcile this? I think we've talked that pretty much completely. Um, and I lost my spot. Alright, um, yeah, verse 6 again. God has cast him into the pit. God's put him into the darkness. Um, he's, I mean, he's, he's telling this to God. He's crying out. In his prayer, he's crying out to God that you've, you've cast me into the pit. Have we, I mean, how often in our prayer lives do we say, God, you've put me in this awful place? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, the, the psalm literature, that's, that's why they address the problem of evil differently than we do. Because the, it, they, in their emotion, they're willing to ask the tough questions of God. They're willing, they're willing to wrestle with this. Um, uh, verse 7, again, the psalmist proclaims he's under the wrath of God. Um, yeah, your, your wrath lies heavy on me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. It's interesting, he talks about the, these waves, like, that his wrath, and then later on in verse 17, it's, it's the flood. So it's, it's, it's this idea of being completely engulfed in the water, I mean, just like literally grasping for breath as the waves just hit you, as the flood surrounds you. I mean, it's, it's a deep torment that the psalmist is in. Um, and again, back, back to the point that we had talked about earlier, there's no confession of sin in this prayer. So it's, it doesn't seem that the, that the wrath of God is, is because of a sin issue. It's, it, it's a more of a Job-like situation where God allows this to happen for the testing of Job. He very well might be allowing this to happen for the testing of the psalmist. Um, his friends want nothing to do with him. God has made him a horror to anyone around. He cannot escape this wrath. Um, and, and David brought up a point earlier regarding like leprosy and some of the illnesses uh, you know, in, in biblical times. Uh, th- this shunning may very well be that he's too sick to be around people. I mean, it's, if he's got leprosy, he's going to be cast off. It's the way it is. So th- that may be a, a relation to the, to the illness itself. Um, and the psalmist in 9a um, you know, my my eyes grow dim through sorrow. He's he's sorrowful at this place that, that he's in right now that God's allowing him to be part of. All right, the uh, part four of this is the questioning of God, uh, verses nine b through twelve. Um, Every day I call upon you, Lord. I spread my hands out to you. Um, basically, the, the the question in that is, I, I've been ongoing in this prayer. I've been in, I've been calling out to you over and over and over again. Why aren't you answering, God? Why aren't you delivering? Why aren't you making this go away? Um, so there's, there's a question within, within that statement of saying he's calling out every day. He's reminding God, hey, I'm here and you're not saving me. You're not bringing me out of this pit. Um, so, and then uh, 10 through 12. Uh, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Is your faithfulness in Abaddon? Um, are your wonders known from the darkness? Are your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Um, this goes back to, I mean, if, if, if he dies, if he's continued under God's wrath, oh, what did I just do there? Um, 
that God, God's reputation is going to be harmed because of God's not acting on the, on the, on the basis of one of his people. So he's, he's saying to God, I can't proclaim you if I'm dead. I can't make your name famous if I'm dead. I can't, I can't show your steadfast love if I'm dead. If you don't deliver me, I can't proclaim you. I can't make you famous. So I, I mean, that's, he, he's literally implying that, that, that God's hurting his own character by allowing this to happen. And the last part, despite the continued prayer, there's still no reply. Um, he basically goes back through uh, all of the other issues in the psalm again. When, when um, verses 13 through the end here, uh, 13's mirrored to verses 1 and 2. He's crying out to God, but O oh Lord, I cry out to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companion has become darkness. Or my only, dark, or my only friend is darkness. Um, so even though there is no response from God, the psalmist is faithful to keep calling on the Lord. He knows there's no other place to go. There's no other place for him to turn. Um, and obviously, if he's attributing the cause to God or the allowing to God, he's contributing his deliverance to God as well. So, and on 14, he's, he's asking again, why do you continue to ignore me? Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Um, and verse 15, when he's saying he's been afflicted since his youth, your terrors, I'm, I'm helpless. He, he's been in this position his entire life. And yet he's still calling out to God. He's still day and night. I, I mean, the, the faith that that takes has got to be amazing. If you're near death, if you've got a grave disease, a terminal disease your entire life, and you still go back to God, I mean, the, the faith there is incredible. And I think that's a great lesson that we can learn from this passage. Um, and then uh, 16 to 18, um, the, yeah, the psalmist feels completely abandoned and under attack by God, and his only remaining friend is darkness. So it's... Uh, quite the, the ending there. I mean, he's, uh, his family, his friends has left him. God's turned his face on him and is all he's left in is the complete and utter darkness. So, um, unlike the other Psalms that typically kind of V back up on the praise route, this, uh, this ends at the lowest point of the, of the entire Psalm, of the entire passage. So, um, Somebody read uh, Hebrews 5, 7-9. through 9. It's on the slide if you want to read it up there or you can read it out of your Bible. Right. How, how does that um, what, do, what do we learn if we're, if we're taking this as an application of, of suffering? What, what is this verse telling us? What are we learning from, from this passage? I mean, Christ in the garden prayed to God, save me from this, rescue me, let this cup pass. Um, and, and yet he did not. Yep, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So through suffering, through trial, we learn, we can, we learn to obey God better. So the applications from this, I, I think, are obviously he may remain faithful in this, so he can be a great example to us when we're in trial, we're in suffering, to remain faithful to God and to continue to cry out no matter what the, what the suffering is. He continued to do that. But also what, the, what we learn through suffering is we learn obedience. We learn, uh, just, just as it's, I mean, it's, it says Christ here learned obedience through what he had suffered. So we we can we learn to be obedient through our suffering. When God sometimes no answer is the answer. God doesn't let us out of our suffering because He's He's asking us to have faith in Him one to be obedient to, to Him two. 
um, no matter what the circumstances are that come up. So I think that's, uh, oh, for those of you who love blanks, uh, obedience through suffering are the last two. Um, but uh, so what, I, I guess at the, in, in conclusion, what, when we suffer through this, when we're not delivered, what's, what's our response as Christians? What's our response when people come up to us and ask us, why is this happening to you? Why, you know, with, with, in my mom's case, when she was dying of cancer, why are you dying of cancer? You proclaim Christ. Um, what, what, what's our answer there? What, how, do we, how do we deal with that? That's not rhetorical. One thing that I always say, not the question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think in, in this particular passage, though, that we just went through, while he's, it's obviously a prayer, so he's looking vertical to God to deliver him, he's pretty focused on the circumstances. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and, and this, this is language in Scripture. The, the Psalms are given to us as a guide of how to praise and pray to our God. So if that's the case, I, I mean, obviously in prayer, we, it's, it's perfectly acceptable to, be, to ask God why our circumstances are what they are. I mean, you know, and, I, and, and I, I can't imagine suffering to, to this level. I mean, I, you know, I've never had that in my life where I've been totally like, why God? I mean, the closest thing was when Mom was sick. Um, but it's th- th- to be in this torment and just screaming out to God day by day by day by day for a lifetime. I mean, it's 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 pretty intense, and He does focus on the circumstances a little. I, I agree with you, Andrew, that it's we need to we need to give God the glory through our circumstances. We need to we need to proclaim that that God's doing this for for a reason, and um, and and how we handle trial, how we handle adversity, is some of the best ways to be a testimony to God. I mean, when when you go through, even if even if your trial ends in death, even if you're never delivered, the way you go through that can definitely proclaim the name of Christ, can definitely make God famous. And I think that's I think that's an important point too, and, and kind of hopefully a good summation of what you were talking about. <laughs> you know, that's what I want. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I completely agree on you know right. always asking for God to. Put the writing on the wall. You know, right. That's what we would. That's what in my life I would like to. But but um, all on the table, and I really want to know why. Right. That's not always going to involve things. No matter. What Absolutely. Glorify you. But, right. You know, it's, a, it's just. And what that passage doesn't mean is that God's always going to save us. When sometimes we throw it around that, oh, God uses all things for good. If somebody's in true despair, that's kind of the last thing they sometimes want to hear. Um, it's. The fact of the matter is, is God may very well use your trial and your death and your suffering till the end for somebody else's good. And it may have nothing to do with you other than you're going to have to just faithfully hang on and die and you're going to be delivered when this life is over. Um, I mean, obviously, deliverance is not promised to us here. It's, it's not. We're, it's a sinful world. We're all, we're all going to suffer. We're all going to be, have the side effects of sin and pack our lives. We're all going to die. And for, to be able to, to be able to look at this and go, okay, I'm going to faithfully hang on. I'm going to continue to cry out. I'm going to continue to pray to my God. And I will, and if He chooses not to deliver me, that's fine. It may, my trial may have nothing to do with me other than to teach me faith and obedience and strength, but it may proclaim God in other ways that we have no idea because we're, we have a very limited view. So, anybody got anything else? Right. Right. Well, and the, and the best part about the, the Job example, which this psalm definitely it has a, a lot of similarities, is, is Job goes through his questioning of God, too. And God's answer to Job is, you know, where were you when I created the foundations of the world? Like, I don't, I don't owe you that. I'm sorry. You're a person. I'm not. You know, the end. So, um, 
let's uh, go ahead and close in prayer. I promised Joel I'd get this uh, clicker back by 10.15. So. Um, Dave, you want to close us up? Guys?